the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. We want to pretend like there are no differences between the genders, and we want to make concessions to each other so that nobody feels slighted, nobody feels greater than, nobody feels less than, and so there's this great movement afoot to kind of erase any distinguishing differences between the genders. Friends, it is good to have differences. There is richness in the differences between the genders. We, we ought not to blur the lines and somehow begin to think like, well, there's just no difference. There are differences. Today's message deals with a subject that's very sensitive for some, something that for most of us has always been very binary. The two genders, male and female, has become a hot-button issue, creating rifts in culture and even within the church. As Pastor Gary will encourage us in today's message, we need to approach this matter through the lens of Scripture, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and always with grace and a desire for restoration, not to inflate our sense of moral superiority. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 1. And, And in my Bibles, it's kind of funny the way the editors did it. They put verse 1 above the subtitle at the beginning of the chapter. So don't miss verse 1. You have to kind of go back if your Bible is like mine. Verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I passed them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And for this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. 
but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is a difficult passage, uh, no question about it. Uh, For those of you who are taking notes, obviously this first section at least has to do with the topic of men and women. And for those of you who take notes, I want you to jot down two terms, headship and head covering. Headship and head covering. That's what this passage is about. Now it implies here, uh, obviously anytime the word head is used, uh, whether it is physical or uh, metaphorical, uh, it implies some structure of leadership. Uh, even in a physical body, your head it gives direction because that's you know where your brain is. Your head gives direction to the rest of your physical frame. And so your body kind of follows the leadership of your head. In metaphorical terms, we talk about people in positions of leadership as being, for example, the heads of states, we would say in terms of leadership of a country. If you're the leader of a school, you might be a headmaster or a headmistress. So the term head is used often in terms of leadership. And as we look at this first passage together here, uh, this is the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. Now he's going to refer, using the term head, he's going to refer sometimes to spiritual head and sometimes to your physical head. And the truth is sometimes he goes back and forth and, and if you don't, you know, study it carefully, you don't know what is he, ta- is he talking about spiritual head here? Or is he talking about your physical head? So we're, we're going to try to do the best we can to go through this passage here and understand what he's talking about. But he is speaking here just in general terms about a structure of leadership. Now, obviously, anytime you start talking about the genders and you start talking about leadership, there is always you know, the tendency for people to react in different ways. Uh, some people can, can think of authority and leadership and, and let it go to their heads. Please understand that in this passage, we're not talking about being authoritative, no, not authoritarian, but just in terms of leadership and structure. And then others on the other end of the spectrum can feel insulted because they misinterpret any terms related to differences in the gender. And here's honestly what I'm up against in our culture today. We are living in a time when many people want things to be gender neutral. We want to pretend like there are no differences between the genders. And we want to make concessions to each other so that nobody feels slighted, nobody feels greater than, nobody feels less than. And so there's this great movement afoot to kind of erase any distinguishing differences between the genders. Friends, it is good to have differences. There is richness in the differences between the genders. We, we ought not to blur the lines and somehow begin to think like, well, there's just no difference. There are differences, Okay. Not better, not worse, not greater than or less than, but there are differences. And so as we look at this passage, understand it from kind of that angle, though he's going to speak here about these differences, don't make the mistake of thinking that differences either overvalue or undervalue either men or women. Differences have nothing to do with value. Okay, And so I, I want to make that clear. 
Christianity is the single world religion that values and esteems women more than any other religion. You can go to places around this world and you can look at different world religions and women are generally oppressed in many conditions and circumstances and, and world religions. Not so in Christianity. And I think in large part that is due to the wonderful and tender ministry, not just the overall way that the Bible covers the topic, but predominantly the way that we see a very tender and loving ministry from Jesus towards women. There are many occasions when Jesus has encounters with women in the Gospels And he treats them with genuine respect and tenderness and dignity and value. We even see in the Gospels where women were instrumental in the support and in the help of Jesus' public ministry. And when you think about it, when Jesus was being crucified, were the women there at the cross or the men? It was the women. And when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, were the men first to the tomb or were the women first to the tomb? I ask you, the women. And it's interesting, too, because in that time period, no insult to the ladies in the house, but in that time period, the testimony of a woman was not even valid in a court of law. That is how undervalued it was during that time. Yes, the Bible does present a pretty heavy patriarchal system. But when you come to the ministry of Jesus, you see the playing field is is pretty much leveled in terms of all people. And everybody in need of the cross and everybody at the same place and no one greater and no one less than. So the fact that Jesus even entrusts the gospel revelation of his resurrection to women who were the first annunciators of the resurrection of Christ at a time when the testimony of women was not even valid in a court of law, says something about the Lord's view and value of women. All right? So even as we look at this passage and we look at head coverings and women and head of a woman as a man and the head of the man as Christ, what does all this mean? Understand it in all that context. Okay? Now, as, as we look into this, that said... This whole passage here really has to do with structure and order to bring about harmony. Okay, so for you note-takers, that's important to understand about this passage. This is about structure and order for the sake of harmony. And I want to also add that this passage here has to do with structure and order in the church. And you will find in other passages a similar comparison in terms of the home. Okay, among believers in the church and in the home. This does not extend beyond that, and and God doesn't intend it to extend beyond that. In other words, when we start talking here about structure and order, I, I want everybody to understand that it does not at all preclude or exclude women from serving in some of the highest offices and positions. All right? Women can be presidents of the United States. The right woman, but still, women can be president of the United States. A woman could be the CEO of a company. She could be a commanding officer. Okay? She could be in whatever position. But for the sake of the church and in the structure of the home, God wants there to be a certain order for the sake of harmony. Again, not better than less than, just for the sake of harmony. God says, here's some order and some structure. 
All right? That said, let me point out a few things here about men and women in general so that we get a scriptural understanding of where we're heading here. First of all, men and women originally equal. Still are, but when you go all the way back to the story of creation, in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? So men and women originally equal. That was God's original design. It is not to be corrupted or changed or altered. Men and women were created both in the image of God, and in that sense then, they are originally equal with the same value that God has instilled upon us. Secondly, the Bible also teaches that men and women are positionally equal. In Galatians 3.28, it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So men and women, no difference in Christ, We are originally equal. We are positionally equal. But then this section here, and to be honest with you, I couldn't come up with another great term, so functionally different. Functionally doesn't really sound that great. But what I mean is that we we differ in roles and responsibilities. The way that we function in terms of the church, in terms of the home, Paul says that, that there's a structure that God has ordained here, again, for the purpose of harmony. So there is some functional differences here. And, and so this, this is what he's talking about. Now, you can, you can read these three points and you can say, okay, you're saying we're originally equal, we're positionally equal, but then we just have some different roles and responsibilities. Again, don't read anything into that meaning value, okay, but just different. But then you come across a verse like um, verse 3, when it says, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And, and, you, and you say to yourself, well, how is it then that, that we are equal in position and originally the way we were created? If, in fact, it says here pretty explicitly here that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. Okay? Now, again, this is talking about leadership structure. And if you miss the last part of that verse, then you miss the whole meaning. Because notice the rest of verse 3, and the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Wait a minute. You understand a little bit about the Trinity where we have one God who reveals himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I thought that all three were co-eternal, co-equal, and have coexisted. That is true. Then how is it that The head of Christ is God if God the Father and Christ the Son are equal. All right, good question. I'm glad you asked. Let me just turn to Philippians chapter 2. And you can turn there if you'd like as well or just listen. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the humility of Christ. When Christ divests himself of his glory to come to earth for the purpose of his ministry to, to die for our sins, his whole attitude and disposition is framed for us in Philippians chapter 2. And it says this in Philippians 2, 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, okay, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or King James says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he is God. So he wasn't stealing anything from God the Father because Jesus the Son is God the Father. So is the Holy Spirit. One God revealing himself in three persons. But then the rest of Philippians 2 says, but 
He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, Paul in Philippians chapter 2 is saying, Christ the Son, God the Father, are equal. That's why Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He, 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 it was nothing wrong for him to grasp that. It wasn't, he wasn't stealing anything because he is equal with God. However, for the purpose of his ministry, you see, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death. And for the purpose and a calling, he didn't hold on to this whole idea, though, that he is equal. He humbled himself and went to the cross. So now back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, okay, the head of every man is Christ, okay? Jesus needs to be Lord of every man. But when he speaks here about the head of the woman is man, just like the head of Christ is God, he's not taking anything away from the equality of men and women because he's not taking anything away from the equality of Jesus and the Father. He just is saying that there's a structure and there's a time and there's an organization and there needs to be a harmony of events here. And so for that purpose, there is an order here and there is a structure. And so please understand that. that that's all that he's really trying to say here. E- even the word, and it is in the Bible, it's a biblical term, submission, when it talks about wives submitting to your husbands. The Greek word for submission in the original language of the New Testament is the word hupatasso. Hupatasso is from two words, hupo meaning under, and tasso meaning to arrange in an orderly manner. Submission in its truest biblical sense, because by the way, the Bible says that men and women should submit to each other as in the Lord, okay? In its truest sense, submission simply means to arrange under an orderly manner so that there is a structure for the promotion of God's harmony in the context of the home. All right. And so even in that sense of the whole, you know, it's a heavy, it's a loaded word, submission. Like, what does that mean? It just means two equal people who come together and God has arranged a structure for the sake of basically a tiebreaker. That's all there is to it. And that every man is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And, you know, I, I've heard it said, not that my wife has ever said this, maybe a few times, but that, but that submission is a whole lot easier when a man is submitted to the Lord. And the more godly the man is, the more lovingly a, a, a wife, when there is a, a moment of, you know, two people who have a, a complete, um, you know, they're locked and they're in a deadlock here, the, the, it's easier to come to a place of just saying, okay, though both are equal, I'm going to surrender here. I'm going to just, you know, yield here, all right, as unto the Lord. It's a whole lot easier when people are walking in submission to the Lord together. So, now, he talks here about all of this, but, but now, what is this whole stuff here about head coverings? Okay? Cause now, cause now, in the context of all of this structure, he says, okay, guys, don't, don't cover your heads. Ladies, cover your heads. Don't, don't pray or prophesy without your head being, uh, uncovered. Ladies, you need to have your heads covered and, and, and men don't cover your head. By the way, the whole concept about men not covering your heads is foreign even to many Jews today because it is customary for men when they pray to cover their heads, to put on the prayer shawl, the talit. And yet, what the Bible teaches us here through Rabbi Paul himself, is that men ought not to cover their heads. Now, the reason he says this, if you just go over a couple of pages to 2 Corinthians, once you understand like, the background behind why, why is he saying this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
He talks about when Moses covered his head and he's correcting the early church, saying that the Jewish people have done something that they interpreted was the right thing to do in following Moses' example. But Paul comes along and he says, no, you got Moses' example all wrong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes in verse 13, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep their minds, sorry, to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. He's talking primarily about the Jewish people. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All right, your attention here. What does all that mean? What it means is, in the Old Testament, it tells us, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments or the tablets of stone, the radiance of God's glory was all over him. I mean, picture somebody just like glowing, like they just, you know, spent a day in a nuclear reactor. Okay, he comes out and he's just glowing. He's got the radiance literally of God's glory. And when he comes down off the mountain, the longer he's away from the presence of God, the glory on his countenance begins to fade. And Paul says the reason why Moses covered his face when he came down off the mountain was because he didn't want the people to become disappointed that the glory was fading. That's the reason Moses covered himself. Now, Paul, back here in 1 Corinthians 11, go back to chapter 11, he's saying a man ought not to, in verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head when he's praying or prophesying because he says in verse 7, he is the image and glory of God. So in other words, now in Christ, we represent and reflect the honor and the goodness and the glory of God. So don't, don't cover yourself. It's the opposite effect. Moses' glory was fading away. That's why he covered himself. The life of the believer, your glory is ever reflecting the goodness of God. Don't, don't cover your head when you pray. All right, let the glory of God be revealed. So... There's this prohibition here about men covering their head, even though, again, this is contrary to what a lot of Jews practice today, but Paul makes his argument based on the opposite effect of what happened with Moses. But then he talks here about women covering their heads. Now, if any of you have an Amish or a Mennonite background, um, or in some very strict circles of Christianity, head covering is a big deal among women to have a, a bonnet or a veil or something over their head. And, and when you read this, if you don't understand context, this seems like a pretty strong mandate for women to cover their heads, doesn't it? A woman ought to cover their head, her head. That's what he says pretty clearly here. Now, this is an example in the Bible, and I, and I want to say this very carefully. This is an example where culture is important to understand in the context, because it has everything to do with whether or not women should cover their heads today. Now, I, I hesitate to, to have to say that because I don't want anybody to think, and, th- and I loathe when I hear people say that the Bible is just, you know, a cultural book 
And so it's not really relevant today because it's all based on an ancient culture. And that's, and that's the excuse that a lot of people unfortunately use as to why they don't want to do a lot of what the Bible says. Because they just dismiss and say, well, it's just a cultural thing. So what I'm about to tell you here in this first passage has to do with a cultural thing, which is the reason why this is not binding. But I don't want you to take that to, a, to the extreme and think that what I'm suggesting is what a lot of people unfortunately think today, which is that's the reason why they dismiss a lot of the Bible. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.